yet not I, but Christ through me. Lord, we need you. We can't live this life without you. We can't make it to heaven without you. We can't please you without your saving grace and the empowering presence of your Holy Spirit. We gather on this very cold day to say thank you for warming our hearts with the gospel. Jesus, thank you for your life. Thank you for your death. Thank you for ruling and reigning from the throne in heaven now, praying for us, praying for your church. Jesus, we confess that your word would be fruitless without your work in our hearts. And so, God, we, we confess our need for your grace now. Be with your people. Feed your people. And may your word do what you've sent it to do. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, I'm glad to see that you've made it uh, on this very cold day. I know the roads weren't great, but I know the Lord is honored by your getting here to worship Him today, so it's a joy. But Luke chapter 3, we have covered two chapters of Luke. We start the third chapter today. So Luke chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 1 through 14, verse 1 through 14. As you're turning there, I want to tell you a story. I love missions. I love missions trips. I love getting on an airplane, going to a different culture to bring the message of Jesus to serve other people. I've, I've been privileged in my life to spend two weeks uh, in the Philippines on a missions trip, two weeks in the Ukraine uh, planning trips and sending people to Cuba, to Romania. Um, just I hope and pray that missions... Uh, is a huge part of Redemption City's future. And for many of us, we'll get on airplanes and go together uh, to bring the gospel to people who need to hear, to obey the Lord, but also to bond together and to see God work on us. But my wife and I, uh, before we started having children, we were able to go to Haiti together. Uh, one of my youth students um, spent the summer over in Haiti, and we wanted to go on a mission trip to see her but also to serve the Lord. And that was a crazy trip. Uh, Port-au-Prince is the capital. It's where you fly into, and it's famous for that massive uh, earthquake that they had several years ago that destroyed the place. But when you fly in, it's pretty overwhelming. There are three million people in that city, and it's about one-eighth the size of Rockford. So just soak that in for a second. And so when we got into the, to the van to take our little missions team, about 45 miles that took, I don't know, four or five hours to get there, through the mountains, through this, because there's one road, um, there was not a word spoken on the missionary team because it's just, it's, it's an overwhelming amount of people. And every single time that you stop at a stoplight, some child is knocking on your window, begging for food broken, hungry. It's, it's overwhelming. You see trash heaps on the side of the road uh, covering where the water is flowing down the side of the street. And you, you see people downstream of that drinking the water. You see pigs upstream drinking the same water. It's an overwhelming sight. When you, when you drive through the countryside, you see people bathing wherever there is water. And we went to this uh, remote location where... Um, it was Haitian Christian Outreach that we were working with, and they were in this remote part of the country, and they had dug a well that people could come and get water. They had uh, planted a church that people could come on site and hear the Word of God. They were building a hospital so that women didn't have to keep giving birth on the side of the road. And so we were joining the effort, and our task for the week was to build a road. Uh, there was a dirt path, but it needed a lot of work, and so there were several teams. Um, my wife was part of the team that would get in the hillside and dig up rocks, uh, and there would be sometimes tarantulas come underneath those rocks. And then there was a team that would grab the buckets and carry them to the wheelbarrows and dump these huge buckets of rocks into these wheelbarrows. And then there was a mule <laughs> that would wheel that wheelbarrow 
to uh, a Haitian guy about two or 300 feet away, crouching down, telling me where to dump the rocks. And so uh, there was this rock road, and the, you know how a wheelbarrow works, it has one wheel, and it's supposed to be rubber. Well, it was about 25% rubber, and the rest of it was just metal. And so I was going on the way, and then I would dump it, and then this guy would break the rocks and then spread the rocks across the road to make it smooth. And then after, because I, I lost 15 pounds in one week, uh, it's over 100 degrees, uh, and again, I was just the mule for the entire week. And when the rocks would be dumped, I thought my, I would have a break, but then three Haitian children would jump in the wheelbarrow for a ride back. And I didn't have the heart to be like, please, you're killing me. Get out of the wheelbarrow. So it was just all day, every day. But what is the point of the road? People needed a pathway to walk on to get their water, to get to church, to hear the word of God, to get to the hospital, to receive medical care. The road needed straightened. The road needed smoothed. And today, John the Baptist in the text, he is the forerunner of Jesus, and he's come to pave the way for the Lord to come. Every heart must prepare to meet their king. Back then and today. Your heart needs to be prepared to receive Jesus. And you know, brothers and sisters, our hearts can grow hard. Our hearts can grow indifferent. And we need our hearts to be prepared to receive Jesus. And, and John had a message that required all people to respond. And I will call us to respond today, to today's message, to repent as John tells us to. And, and, and Christian and non-Christian alike need to do this at the end. We need a pure heart and a clean conscience. We need to prepare our heart to call out to God. And he shows us the way. He shows us the way. And so uh, as the text begins in, in chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, Listen to this. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Etura and Trachonitis and Lysianus tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. I want you to read this passage. You can get it home really fast, okay, to each other. Just see how you do. I was, <laughs> it's not easy to say these names. But number one, you are invited to his kingdom. I want you to see that Luke names all these people, and if you were to pay attention to these names, you would recognize them. Pontius Pilate, he has a part to play in this story, doesn't he? You have C. Herod, who plays a part in this story. You're, we're going to see Philip in just a little bit and, and Herod playing a part in this story, but we'll cover them in time. But Luke's purpose in this is to say, this gospel is not in Narnia, it is not in Middle Earth, it's in real history. And remember, in Luke chapter 1, Luke is writing to a guy named Theophilus, and he's saying, listen, Theophilus, you can be certain of these things. And so here's the time that the word of God came to John the Baptist. And we see chapter 1 and 2, we see these lengthy birth narratives of John the Baptist and Jesus. And now we're going to engage, we're going to see the ministry of these men. Starting with John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ. So number one, you are invited to his kingdom. And the last time we saw John the Baptist... He was just born, and his father's tongue was loosed, and he sings a song. But where did we leave John the Baptist? Luke 1, verse 80 says this, And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So John is in the wilderness, and he looks like it. If you were to read Matthew, he would wear camel hair, he had a leather belt, and the man ate locusts, okay? That was his diet, and wild honey. He would have 
been a wild-looking person. He would have looked like an Old Testament prophet, and he was. He was the last and the best among the lot of prophets, and, and God's word came to him in this desolate wilderness, this hill country of Judea and near the Dead Sea. And this is a piece of earth that nothing grows. And don't think desert. Think rocks, pebbles, stones. This is where scorpions and snakes would have filled the landscape, which will come up in a little bit. But listen, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah. That's what the passage says. And, and he is presented as an Old Testament prophet. And, and it's said the same way every time. The word of God came. And then the prophet would preach God's will. And, and I want you to remember that there had been a 400-year silence from heaven. And I had preached in Luke chapter 1 that God had broken the silence with the birth of John the Baptist, but it would be another 30 years or so before John would open his mouth and that the people of God would hear God's word again. And now, all the prophecies about him are coming true, and God is speaking from heaven to his people to prepare them for receiving his son, Jesus Christ. And so it finally happened. He is the last and the best prophet. God's word came to him and told him, what did God's word tell him to do? You go out and you cry in the wilderness. And the message is, repent and be baptized. Because you're not ready to receive the Lord. You're not ready. John is telling the people, you're not ready to receive him. And, and isn't it precious? Listen, people. The word of God came to John. Do you know the word of God has come to us? What would we do without this book? Have you ever thought, what would you do in your life if you had no word from God? You would not know how to be reconciled with him. You would not know what would please him. We would be lost and the people of God were lost, and they needed to hear from him. And listen, this book that we have is precious, and we take it for granted. But the word of God has come to us, and we need to receive it as such. And it says that he was a son of Zechariah. So Luke reminds us that who John is. And so I want to look back at what the angel Gabriel said to Zechariah when he's in the temple. Listen to Luke 1, 13 through 17. But the angel said to Zechariah, do not be afraid, for your prayers have been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of their fathers to the children and to the disobedient, to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Because they weren't prepared. They weren't prepared to meet their Lord. They weren't prepared to receive their King. Our hearts need constant preparation to be good soil, to receive the word of God and to bear its fruit. We need to hear this message from heaven. People need to prepare to meet their king. And the king has sent his word to tell them how to get ready. Will they, will we heed this strong message? And, and the message from God is, I have a kingdom and I'm inviting you. John the Baptist is said in Matthew to, to say, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent. Do you know, the message that they hear after 400 years from heaven, you need to hear this. The king of all kings is saying, I have a kingdom and I want you there. That is the message from heaven that you need to receive. 
God has a kingdom, and he's invited you. Don't take that for granted. Don't let that be lost on you. He's invited you to be where he is. And I want us to take notice of where John the Baptist is ministering. John ministers in the wilderness, and Tom Schreiner says this about his location. John ministers in the wilderness, which symbolizes that the nation is in exile, that the covenant promises have not yet been realized, but they don't realize it. May God open our eyes and hearts. Isn't this fascinating? And we'll cover this again in just a minute, but think about all of what you know about the Old Testament, where God's people were in the wilderness, prepped to go into the promised land, and they must go through the Jordan to get there. Amazing. But what is the way? Number two, reflection. Repentance is the way. Reflection number two, repentance is the way. And this is verses three through nine. So follow along with me. Repentance is the way. God has invited us. Repentance is the way. Verse three, and he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And he said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves that we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to, from these stones, to raise up children for Abraham. Now even the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Number two, repentance is the way. Listen, he went out to all the region of the Jordan. And this is not a throwaway line, as I just hinted at before. Listen to this. Again, Tom Schreiner begins again. Listen to this. John is located in the wilderness at the Jordan. In other words, he's on the other side of the Jordan, and his ministry is in the wilderness. Israel, which knows its own history, would not fail to catch the symbolism. The nation is at the same place it was when it wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and when it was in exile for 70 years in Babylon. The new exodus that Isaiah regularly promises is still to be completed. The nation must go through the Jordan to symbolize their cleansing from sin. The new exodus Isaiah promised would lead to forgiveness of sins. Such forgiveness would not be received without repentance. Israel must turn from its selfish way and give itself to God. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? what God is bringing to fruition with his son, Jesus Christ, who is leading the way to the real promised land, to lead his people through the Jordan to the end, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Listen, the word of God that came to John told him to implement this new requirement of baptism for the forgiveness of sins. This would have been radically offensive to the listeners. This would have been radically offensive to every single Jew because they only knew of one thing about baptism and it's when when a Gentile wanted to join their faith and they would make that Gentile get circumcised and then wash in the water because they're defiled, they're unclean. And then now this message from God is saying, you are defiled, you are unclean, your sins need to be forgiven, you're not ready. You're not ready for my son. You need to get yourself ready. And that's what John is telling them, that they need cleanse. They, you are unclean. So before he comes, repent and wash as symbolism of your repentance. And when the dirt comes off, it would float away, symbolizing that when your sin leaves, it will never touch you again. 
Because this is the foreshadowing of what Jesus would do. It's not ritualistic that sins have to be atoned for again and again and again. The forerunner of Jesus is saying, it's coming, and this one that's coming will take your sins and they'll never reach you again. Wash, Israelites. Get ready. You're not ready. And this was a short-lived requirement to prepare for the Lord because this differs from Christian or believer's baptism. It's not the same. John's baptism is preparatory. Jesus's is final. And we'll see next week that Jesus doesn't baptize with water. He baptizes with his spirit. He's coming to fill his people with his very spirit. And here is what John's baptism doesn't mean. John doesn't believe or teach that baptism can save you. John is saying repent and baptism will be the sign of your repentance, but don't trust in just your going through the water. Because going through the water doesn't make you clean. Repentance before God is what cleanses your heart. And, and baptism must not be trusted for salvation. Actively, uh, listen, there's, uh, I actively trained life group leaders when I was at Redeemer, and I oversaw their life group ministry for a long time, and, and uh, I would actively train them because if you remember our series on uh, the path of discipleship, number one is, is convert to Christ. And my tagline was, we don't assume salvation at our church. We don't assume salvation. We want to care enough about people to dig into their stories. To see if what's happened to them aligns with the testimony of Scripture. And I would train my life group leaders to say, if somebody says to you, when you ask them, when did you become a Christian? And they say, I was baptized when? It doesn't necessarily mean that they're not saved. They might just not know how to communicate it. But I train them to say, take them out to coffee and ask them what they mean. Are they trusting in the water or are they trusting in Jesus? Have they looked to Jesus to save them or are they trusting some ritual of baptism? Baptism doesn't save. The water doesn't save us. Listen, Carrie Underwood gets it wrong. There's not something in the water. There's nothing special about the water. The water is just water. God alone has the power to save sinners from hell. And I should hear an amen right now. She gets closer with the line, because I looked up the lyrics. She says, got washed in the water, washed in the blood. Reverse it, Carrie. Reverse it. Because what can wash away our sins? And then we get in the water to symbolize the washing that God has done in our souls by the power of his spirit. And the thief on the cross, Jesus, is, Jesus himself is not confused about what saves people. And I'm so thankful for the thief on the cross for so many reasons, right? Because what he doesn't say is, take the nails out of your hands. Get down and have somebody dunk you in water and then, then you'll be with me today in paradise. What does he say? with one look of faith from that man dying next to him on the cross that was just ridiculing him. And he, he saw the way Jesus was dying, and he was convinced as he heard the words from his mouth and seeing the way that he was leaving this world, he was convinced, this is the Son of God. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Today, Jesus says, you'll be with me in paradise. So Jesus wasn't confused about what saves people. Baptism is a, an important symbol, but just that. And, and, those, and it's a baptism of repentance. And those who repent turn from sin to God. And those who turn from sin to God ought to be baptized and prepare their heart for, for their Lord who is coming back then, who would teach them to do, the Lord would teach them what to do next. Jesus taught, again, repentance as entrance to his kingdom. But his ministry was final, not preparatory. And repentance, just to be clear, is not a feeling of sadness. It's not just a feeling of sadness over your sins. 
or sadness about being caught in sin. It is a complete change of mind. It is a complete change of direction. Listen, we turn our face towards sin and our back to God. Repentance is the reversal of that. We turn our face to God and our back on sin. That is repentance. And it's for the forgiveness of sins. This is good news that God forgives sins, isn't it? Isn't it good to hear 400 years of silence from God? I forgive sins. Don't let this be lost on you. Because we are sinners in need of his forgiveness. And and the message from God is saying, there's a way. I have a kingdom, but repentance is the way. It's faith in him. It's realizing that we're sinners and turning our backs to it and our faces towards him. And, And Jesus, this is a baptism of repentance, but Jesus is coming to do the fuller work. Because when we repent, after Christ comes, he fills us with his very presence. He he takes our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. He takes us from death to life. And in Luke chapter 3, verse 4 and 6, listen to the prophecy about John the Baptist's ministry. And then he preaches. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain shall and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is a quotation from Isaiah 43 through 5 prophesying about John and his ministry. But listen to what R.C. Sproul says about these words. In the ancient world, whenever a monarch or a dignitary comes to the country, it was custom to prepare the way, adorn the streets, roll out the red carpet, and announce the imminent arrival of this distinguished person. Maybe a trumpet or a shofar, that twisted antler-looking thing, would blow Get the streets ready. Prepare the way. John is the voice preparing the way for the Lord. And so it was normal when these dignitaries were coming to a town, they would have forerunners that would level the ground. If it's high, they bring it low. If it's low, they bring it high. If it's crooked, they make it straight. If it's not smooth, they would smooth it. And here John the Baptist is coming saying, you high and arrogant people who Think just because you're sons of Abraham that you are sons of the kingdom, repent. You're not ready. You crooked generation who have who've thrown off the commandments of God, you're not ready for Jesus. Get your life straight. Get your life right and walk straight. Jesus is coming. This is a preparatory ministry and repentance is required to get our hearts ready to receive Jesus Christ. And the context for Isaiah 40 is hope for a people in Babylonian exile. This message to Isaiah 40 was to a people. Can you imagine being ripped and torn from your home? Watching lots of your friends and family members murdered. That all the customs that you held dear, the temple worship gone. All of the festivals that you were supposed to celebrate, you're not allowed to. That you're servants of another kingdom to a king that is not your God. And Isaiah is calling and telling them, this is hope. God will call you from that place and he will make your path smooth. Prophesying about the Lord Jesus And and these verses of Isaiah 43 through 5 explain the ministry of John, that every valley filled and the humble will be lifted up and the mountain is low and the prideful will fall, the crooked shall become straight, this corrupt generation that needs to become straight will be made straight. Repentance needs to happen in the hearts of men to receive receive the straight path that Jesus is paving to the Father. The way is narrow but firm. And Daryl Bach beautifully says, the creation is called to level the path so God can enter. 
With his entry, God makes salvation manifest for all to see. There is nowhere else to look for God's saving work except to Jesus. Israel must repent to see the salvation of God. In verses 7 through 9, John has a message for the people. Crowds came out to him. Listen, historians say that the crowds that came out to see John the Baptist were bigger, much bigger than the crowds that came out to see Jesus. Now, if that's true or not, we don't know. It's not in the scriptures, but that's what the historian said. And so you could think, I don't think it's wrong to think tens of thousands of people flocking out to the wilderness to hear John preach and to be baptized in the Jordan River. And, and John the Baptist was a preacher, a herald of God's word, and he starts his message off um, differently than I do. I usually say, good morning, turn your Bibles too. John has a little bit of a different approach, and, and he calls the people a brood of vipers. I talked to Darren, and I just told him, hey, we usually end the message, uh, the service with you're loved, uh, but we're going to change that. Uh, why don't you slither out of here, you poisonous snakes? You know, that's, that's the message that John, you know, in seminary, they actively tell you not to do that when you preach to God's people. But here you've got a prophet of the living God looking at people knowing that they're not ready and that God's wrath is coming and they're not ready. Think about in the desert, in the wilderness with the rocks, the pebbles, the stones. If, if someone were to bring fire to them, wouldn't they, wouldn't they climb out from underneath those rocks and flee from the wrath? Well, the people of God were fleeing and and going to baptism, and they weren't trusting in the Lord. And he could see that because he talks about how genuine repentance works itself out into fruit in their lives. And, and I, when I was a youth pastor, I went to this conference. It was my first year. I didn't know anything about anything. And my senior pastor told me to go to this conference, and it was called Ignite. And at some point in the conference, I didn't know anything about it, but they were calling, open call for people to be baptized. And I could see all of these teenagers, which I thought was completely wrong. I was a good Baptist, right? You get, you get baptized at your church, you know? Uh, you, get, you, you talk to an elder first. You get your, your family there, and I agree with all that. You're joining a local church. You should not get baptized at some conference, and I believe that. And so, but what I saw was teenagers laughing and joking. It meant nothing to them to go through the water. Their friends were doing it, and so they wanted to do it. And so with my little youth group, I didn't know what to do, and I just looked. And my wife tells me when I'm serious, it's a pretty stern look, right? Don't move. Stay where you are. Why? Because what was happening in front of me wasn't genuine. And John the Baptist could see that the people that were going through the water weren't repentant, and they weren't ready and he did not want them to have false peace and false assurance that they were ready to meet their king because they weren't. And he was concerned for their souls. You know, our culture would tell us that the, the most loving thing to do to somebody is to affirm them, whatever they think, whatever they feel, whatever they believe. And, and that is not the most loving thing. If, if you're a Christian and you know if somebody is headed towards hell, it's not a loving thing to affirm them while they're going there. The most loving thing to say is that there is a God in heaven who does have wrath against sin and sinners, but that same God has mercy on his enemies. That he has made a way, he has prepared a way for the forgiveness of sins and to be a full citizen of the kingdom of heaven. That is the most loving thing to do, church. And we don't, I would encourage you not to call them vipers uh, as you're sharing the gospel with them. But I will call you to share it urgently. Because what does it say? That the axe is laid to the Root of the tree. Verse 9. Now even the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This is talking about the end time wrath. 
that there will be people faced that will be cut down and destroyed because they have not repented and come to the only way that God has given to us to be saved. And this is flee to safety quickly. Do not wait. I remember being a very ignorant teenager, and I've told you stories after stories after stories about my ignorance. Well, here's another one, okay? I just remember thinking, I knew the truth. I knew that Jesus was the way, and I did not want him. I did not want him to influence my life. I knew that he would have requirements of me that I did not want to experience. And so I thought, when I'm old, I will repent and be saved. And I was in an age where I would have thought this was the age, right? Like, the age I am now is that old man to, re to repent and be saved. But how foolish is that? God's grace, what would have happened from that age to the, what if I would have died before I gave my life to Jesus? The roots, the axe is laid to the roots, and that's the last thing holding the tree in the ground, the message from John is saying, now is the time to repent. Do not wait. And so if you're in here and you have, if you're thinking like that, if you're believing like that, come to Christ today. Brothers and sisters, there should be an urgency in our hearts for our neighbors. If we care about God's glory, if we care about the good of our neighbor, we ought to go now. Where has the church where has the church lost its passion to tell people about Christ? That salvation is not a concept, it's a person. And he came, and he has saved, and he will receive all. This king has sent us out to say, tell everyone to come. It's his business who comes. But we are to tell people to come. And we, we don't want them to have false peace, false assurance this is like saying, my dad is a pastor. My, my, or when they, I'm sorry, when they go, when they say this about, I forgot to tell you where this came from. When people say, bear fruits with keeping with repentance. Repentance is the way into the faith and it's the way of faith. Do not begin to say to yourselves that we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Listen, they were saying, listen, I'm an Israelite. I'm good. This is like saying I've grown up in church. My whole family built this place. I know that I'm right with God. We want to tear down false assurances. God is saying wrath is coming and repentance is a gospel word. The motto of the Mandalorian this is the way. Say it with me. This is the way. You guys failed at that. Yeah. <laughs> Repentance for forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. This is the way. Reflection number three, and finally, God's fruit, good fruit grows from repentant hearts. Look at the end of verse nine. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what shall we do? And they answered him, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And they said to him, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and to be content with your wages. Here's what John is doing. He preached a message, and then he had a Q&A. And the people that were interested, like, what do we do? We believe you. What, what, what does repentance look like? What is, what it, what is it? What, how do we know for sure? And, and good fruit grows from a repentant heart. And this, this section could be called, Are You Saved? Show me. Are you saved? Show me. John preached to bear good fruits in keeping with repentance. Repentance is the very first act of a Christian, but we ought to live a life of repentance. And genuine repentance reveals itself in the heart 
through our actions. What's true of you? Is your heart producing good fruit? Is it showing that you have come to faith in Jesus Christ? We are not prepared to meet the king if our lives bear no fruit of that repentance. In fact, it tells us if, if we come before the king this way, he will cut us down and throw us into the fire. Repentance shows itself in life. And make sure you are ready. We need to evaluate our heart through the light of Scripture. And here's a way of being false. Like, I was, listen, you've heard me sing. I'm not musical, okay? And that translates into instrument playing as well. And I had this dream. There's only a few things I wanted to do in life. I wanted to run hurdles. That's a weird thing to want to do. I wanted to play the drum. Did you say yes, it is? Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the affirmation. I wanted to be a drummer, and I wanted to be a Major League Baseball player. That's all I wanted to do. And I remember in fifth grade, uh, there was a guy that would come and evaluate your musicality. And he said, what do you want to play? I said, the drums. He said, follow this beat. He did a beat. I did it. He goes, try again. And he did it again. He goes, just one more time. And I did it, and he goes, how about the trumpet? (laughs) I was like, okay. I was in fifth grade, so I just thought, okay. And so I didn't think at that point in my life that I could quit anything. I didn't want to play the trumpet. My heart was not into the trumpet. And so I would have to go to band and practice. I'd never thought to quit. And so here's what our first marching band, right? It's time to bear fruit of your heart wrapping itself into the trumpet, We were supposed to play Louie Louie, and I played every note of that thing just hitting random buttons. And it was about towards the end of the song, on the last day of marching band, which I had done this concert probably 10 times, that I realized my whole section is quiet and I'm just blowing the horn away. (laughs) The fruit of my work showed that I hated the trumpet. I was not a real player. You see what I'm saying? Before we come to Christ, our hearts are stone. We don't care about what God says. And if we do, we don't listen. When you come to faith in Christ, God gives you a new heart, a new nature. He fills you with, your spirit, with his spirit. And in, the, in your heart, you start to love what God loves and hate what he hates over a lifetime. Is that present in your life? And if not, don't follow some false assurance that you're okay. And if you've been around me long enough, you know that I'm passionate about this subject because I was deceived as a child. I repeated it with good intentions, but I was told that when you repeat this prayer, you will be saved. And they dunked me in the water and I was lost. But it took three years after I truly came to Christ to realize I wasn't saved. Have you really repented? Have you really come to faith in Christ? And the difference between I could care less about God and then all of a sudden I started to love him. My heart started to love his word. My heart started to love his people. My heart started to break for the lost imperfectly. We will sin all the way till we get to heaven. This is an imperfect journey, but does your life bear the fruit of a changed life? Why Why did John's life matter so much as we seek to apply this? He was he was caught up in the story. How do you make your life count? It certainly was not the camel hair and the leather belt and the locusts and the honey. Why did his life count? Because he was caught up in the story. He preached the kingdom, repentance, and forgiveness of sins to everyone he knew with boldness. And and God has called you to what you're doing in life, but is your story living in light of the story? In the story. And you know what John doesn't say? He doesn't say, he, he calls people to generosity and integrity. Here's what he doesn't say. Repentance looks like you forsaking everything and coming living with me in the desert, eating the locusts and the wild honey. He doesn't say that. He says, in your work, have integrity and generosity. Show 
Christ. Show the reality of your heart being repentant where you are. Have you devoted to that in your work? Have you, has your faith crossed over into your work? And, and in what ways, let me ask this question, what ways does your heart need to be brought low and straightened out or smoothed before the Lord? There's a principle in Scripture to put off and to put on. For example, if you're prone to lying, you need to repent of your lying. Take that off, and then you put on truth. Do you see? If you have cheated, if you've stolen, you need to repent and pay back and to learn generosity. If you're prone to bitter words that pierce people like arrows, you need to put on kindness and a tender heart and forgive each other as God and Christ has forgiven you. And let me ask you this question. When was the last time that you have repented? When was the last time that you have repented? Brothers and sisters in Christ, for those of you who are in Christ, listen, our hearts harden in our sins. Why would we? You cannot put a price tag on a clean heart and a pure conscience. Jesus Christ has forgiven us of our sins. If you're in Jesus, we're headed towards heaven, but in daily life, we can be far from God and, and walking with him and knowing him and harden our hearts to having a pure heart and a clean conscience and experiencing the benefits of Christ. Repentance is the way to bear fruit to God that we, you need to keep your heart contrite and low before him tender before him. Listen, when was the last time you repented? Really, do you believe that we sin in ways that we don't understand? Psalm 19:12 says, "Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults." There are so many times that we sin and don't even realize we're sinning. When's the last time you say, "God, help me discern my hidden faults. Forgive me. Show me, forgive me of ways that displease you." So, Listen, I wonder how many of us are play, playing with vipers of sin, hoping it doesn't bite and kill you. Are you in love with the things that God hates? Repent, turn from them. God is calling us and inviting us and commanding us to repent today. And listen, if repentance is a priority for you and, and you struggle like most Christians to get it into your life, schedule your priorities. It's going to seem routine and lifeless. The goal, is to, the goal is to, once we sin, to recognize it and humbly go to God. But listen, develop this spiritual muscle and set aside a time, plan it, that you're going to evaluate your day and bring your heart to, to God in repentance. Listen, Jesus expects it, church. Jesus expects it. When they asked him, Jesus, teach us to pray. What did he pray? How did he teach us? Part of that prayer. Forgive us of our sins. And I have forgiven those who have sinned against me. So set it aside. Set it aside. And, and parents, teach your children to repent. Their heart will not be in it, but teach them the form. And pray that God sets them on fire with faith. Teach them how to look at somebody in the eye and say, I'm sorry for, and have them describe it, and ask, will you forgive me? Teach them how to repent, not just and to ask forgiveness from people, but from God. Are you prepared to meet your king? Listen, it is appointed for you to live once, to die, and to face judgment. Don't show up unprepared. God has invited you, and he has shown you the way. And it's time to respond. Listen, Thomas Watson has ingredients of repentance, and I, I just want to say them to you, and we'll look at them through our years together, Lord willing. But the first ingredient to repent is sight of sin. Do you see it? Can you see your sin? And if you can't see your sin, ask God to show it to you. God, show me. Your repentance You say, God, I don't see it. Will you show me my sin? The second ingredient is sorrow for sin. Sometimes even God's people forget how to have sorrow. 
not because we're caught, but because we have sinned against God. Ask God to break your heart that we sin against Him. And then shame for sin. Fourth is confession of sin. Fifth is hatred of sin. And sixth is turning from sin. The Lord cleanses us when we come to Him. Listen, the good news is, and I'll close with this, as John the Baptist said, I can raise up sons from Abraham out of the stones of the ground. The good news is is that he can save a people that have stony hearts. I love the citizen song where it says, I used to have a head full of rocks and a heart made of stone, but spirit you made me see. Church, Jesus Christ has come. Do not refuse him. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the preparatory work that John the Baptist has done to teach us to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Lord Jesus, to prepare our hearts, the crooked ways, the highways, the rough ways, the Lord, the ignorant ways that we sin against you and we do not know you, that we do not recognize you in our lives and we forsake you in your word. God, I just pray for repentance and help today. Lord, we need the power of your Spirit to even show us our sin, to give us sorrow for our sin, to help us to be ashamed of our sin, but then to turn to you in confession and to receive your forgiveness. God, you are merciful. We're so thankful that repentance is a gospel word, that Lord, we we need to repent because you are holy, but we can because you are merciful. So Lord, help us to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In Jesus' name, amen. Communion's gonna come around. And this is a meal only for those who are professing believers in Jesus Christ. And so I would ask you to refrain if you have not given your life to Jesus. But I want you to spend time during this song, worshiping, preparing your heart, confessing your sins, but then receive this assurance of pardon when you do. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Please hold on to these elements to the end and we'll take them together.